All right, before we jump into our passage this morning, I want to talk to our young ones. We do this every Sunday uh, before we jump into the, the sermon passage, talk to our young ones. We want our young ones in the service with us, and uh, I want y'all to know what the passage is going to be about and then what the sermon is going to be about. So here we go. Young ones, let me have your ears. True false questions for you, okay? Ready? True or false? A house cat, uh, no, sorry, true or false, a cheetah roars louder than a house cat. True or false? Well, you know, that's because I'm screwed up the question. Yeah, you're right, that's false, because you know what? They roar the exact same. A cheetah and a house cat. Yeah, that's right. True or false, Nintendo was founded in 1989. False, it was founded in 1889. What? True or false, a strawberry is a better berry than a banana. True or false? Strawberry isn't a berry. I don't know how that works, but this is true. This is what the internet says. So banana's a better berry. <laughs> Strawberry is not a berry. Okay, true or false? You are 10 times more likely to, to get, you're, you're 10 times more likely to get bit by a New Yorker than a shark. True. True or false, you are also more likely to get bit by a New Yorker than you are a rat in New York. <laughs> true. It's true. Okay. Uh, true, false. Fir trees, it's just a kind of tree, just like fir trees can grow in human lungs. A 28-year-old patient named uh, Artyom Sidorkin reportedly inhaled the seed of a fir, this is going to freak you out, <laughs> reportedly inhaled the seed of a fir tree which had sprouted and grown in his lung. Doctors thought they were dealing with a tumor and they were stunned when they made the discovery there was a tree growing in his body. <laughs> We'll just say that's false, so you're not scared. Now, not true. That's not true. Okay, true, false. Your heartbeat will sink to the rhythm of the music that you're listening to. It's true. It's very, very true. True, false. The air you breathe in a train station is 15% human skin. It's true. <laughs> true, false. Humans have more neck bones than giraffes. Is false because they have the same. Actually, all mammals do, apparently. <laughs> Scientists. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, okay. True or false? Things are not always what they seem. It's true. Like, I, you know, these fun questions. Okay, how about prayer? Let's talk about, like, is that true prayer? Like, things are not always what they seem. What about prayer? True or false? Prayer can be intimidating uh, because you hear other people pray and they're really, really good at it, and so it's hard for you to pray like that. True or false? Yeah, that's true. You can hear people pray and you're like, I can't pray like that, so I better not pray. But is that right? No. No, you, God just wants to hear you pray. He wants to hear your voice praying to Him, and He delights it when He delights in your prayers. He wants to hear you pray, and He doesn't want you to sound like somebody else. He wants you to sound like you. So that's true. Okay, how about this? Uh, starting to pray, uh, just starting a prayer is one of the hardest things to do. Ooh, false, good. It can be, for some of us, it's true that, like, I don't even know how to start. But it's actually, it's actually super easy. Jesus is going to show us today how we can start. Simply start with calling out to who? God. And you can call him God, you can call him Lord, you can call him Father, you can call him Jesus. 
Uh, you, uh, you've got all these options to call out to God, and that's a great way to start. Just start there. So, starting can be actually really, really easy. What about this? True or false? If you're going to pray to God, you've got to say it just right or your prayer won't work. False. Nah, just there's a part in the Bible that in Romans 8 that says sometimes all you have to do to pray is just groan. You can that's a great prayer. Yo, that's a great prayer to God. Sometimes it's all you have to do is groan. And the Holy Spirit takes your groans and he takes them all the way up to God and God hears your prayers. He knows what's going on in your heart. How about this? True, false. Because God knows what's going on in your heart, you don't have to pray. He already knows. True or false? False. Prayer. I want you to think about prayer like this is a relationship. God talks to us in his word. We talk to him. We talk back to him with prayer. If God is really real, and he is, if God's really real, we have to talk to him like he's really, really real. How, are you get, how do you get to know your friends? You have to talk to them. You cannot have a friend, and your friend does all the time. I, mean, I know we have some friends that do a lot of the talking. Maybe you're one of the friends that does a lot of the talking. But if you're going to have a real relationship with that friend, you also have to do some of the talking. It's the same with prayer. So yeah, God knows what's in your heart, and he wants to hear your voice. You know, when, when we pick you up from school and your parents ask, hey, how was your day? We know what you're going to say. We just want to hear you say it. That's fine. Nothing happened. Whatever. This. Yeah, it was okay. Ah, oh, it's great. Like, we just want to hear you. And your Father in heaven wants to hear your voice. How about this one? Uh, <clears throat> life can be so big and so overwhelming. Do you pray for family? Do you pray for friends? Do you pray for your school? Do you pray for your family? Do you pray for uh, the country? Do you pray for other countries? Do you pray for the church? Do you pray for other churches? Yeah, yes, and, and you're like, yes, oh my gosh, I have to pray for all of that stuff. And, and does it work? Like, if I pray for that stuff, does God actually hear it? And does that stuff work? And can I really pray for everything? This can be prayer. Is it true or false that prayer can seem overwhelming because there's so much to pray for? It can seem like that. How about this? Last one, true or false? Because it seems like the world is so big and there's so much hard stuff in your life, true or false? It, does it seem like prayer doesn't work? Sometimes it can seem like prayer doesn't work, but true or false? Last one, does prayer work? Yes. And it works because of this other thing that seems like, oh man, it's one of these other things of... Uh, there are things that aren't always what they seem to be, the cross. When you think about the cross of Jesus, things aren't always what they seem to be. The world will look at the cross of Jesus and say, it's no big deal. It's just a guy dying. Is that true or false? False. The cross is our salvation. The cross is what gets us from uh, 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 death uh, forever to life forever, forever. The cross is what gets us to heaven. The cross is what gets us to God, and Jesus has done it. So the cross is everything to us. It is our salvation, his life for us, his death for us, and because Jesus has done that, he has gotten us back to the Father, which means your prayers really are heard, and your Father really does hear him, and he really does answer him, and prayer really does work, even though at times it may seem like it doesn't. Uh, your prayers literally go up to the throne of grace, where God hears and he answers because of Jesus. This is what Jesus is going to tell us today. 
And so my encouragement to you is to pray. Pray. And when do you pray? Pray whenever you want to pray. It's a good idea to pray in the morning. I'll tell you that. It's like a real, real practical thing. It's a really good idea to pray in the morning because then we get so busy and we forget to pray. And even if you start praying in the morning and you get distracted in the middle of your prayer, that's okay. So pray again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And keep praying. And when you come here, you pray with us. So I promise you, if you're like, I don't pray very good. Yes, you do. When you come here, you pray with us. And we'll continue to teach each other how to pray as Jesus teaches us today. We're in our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've come, you know, we're, this is a long sermon. Well, it's actually not that long. We're just making it really long as we take it in chunks. Um, but uh, Jesus has gone through uh, these commands. And uh, we're, we're jumping into this part right now. We're jumping into the Lord's Prayer Last Sunday, we dealt with the larger context, the larger passage in which you find the Lord's Prayer. Like, the Lord's Prayer doesn't just come out of nowhere. Now, there's a context to it. We, we actually skipped over the prayer itself last Sunday because today we're going to take a deep dive into the prayer. With that, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? This is Jesus. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us into temptation and lead us not into, that's important, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. We're going to just jump right into the prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, pray this. Our blah, 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 blah. Uh, that plural, the our thing, is really, really, really important. And here's that, that larger context that we, we talked about last Sunday. Just remember that first and foremost, that, that right before this prayer, Jesus gives three examples of how people use religion to not praise God, but to praise themselves. He, he talks about tithing. He talks about praying. He talks about fasting. And Jesus is exposing how hypocrites use religion to puff themselves up. How hypocrites, and this is within the community of God, uh, and, and yes, it happens out in the world, you know, Gentiles do it, and it but, but this also happens within the community of God. It happens today within the church that hypocrites will use religion to wield authority and power over others. How a hypocrite will use religion to make everything about himself, herself. Now, this model for prayer that Jesus gives us, you pray it in the plural. So this prayer is the anti-narcissist prayer because this prayer shows concern for others just as much as it shows concern for you the person who's praying it now here's an objection to the hour from outside outside the church looking in and as an outsider will say look at christians 
in their condition in the world. They are contemptible. Look at their leaders and their message. They are full of fear and hate. So what benefit is there in communion with them? Is it anything else but to be sharers in trouble, reproaches, scorns, and all manners of evils? Our answer will be, well, yes and no. Uh, and notwithstanding the disadvantages that are there against the church, our fellowship endures. And like, who wants to be a part of the church? Well, the truth is, uh, it is and it will be found to be very honorable, very glorious, and very desirable to be in communion with us because our fellowship is with the living God. So we pray our Father. And, and just up front, so make our way through this prayer up front, there's an objection to that, to that label. And not, not, not just an objection, but just a, a problem, a hardness, because for some of us, it can be hard to call God Father because we run that idea through the filter of our own experiences with our own earthly fathers. And, and maybe you lost a father, uh, a father that you love, and the pain is, is too much to bear, or you never had a father who loved you. And that is not a small thing. What that pain does point up, though, it is what all of us have in common with fathers that we love, fathers we lost, fathers who didn't act like fathers to us. What we all have in common is, is that all of that points up our longing for a good father. And when you think of a good father, when you think of what a father should be, that is who God is to his children. Which raises this question. Well, who can call God Father? It is true that every human is made in the image of God. Yes, that is true. It is true that we are all the pinnacle of creation. That any person can look at another person and say, you are my neighbor. Uh, it is true that every single person has value and worth. Yes. But it is not true that every person is a child of God. Uh, this is from the New Testament uh, letter to the Ephesians. It says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So it's not true that every person is a child of God. It, 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 the truth is when God saves a person, he brings that person into his family. So when Jesus tells us that God is our father now, to those who confess this faith, he really, really means it. We really are in God's family. And one of the hardest things, we just said this to the kids, one of the hardest things about prayer is just getting started. And Jesus says... The way to start is just to start by calling God Father. And we'll say this, if you don't pray anything else, looking up to heaven, bowing your head, looking off into the distance with that glazed look on your eye, however you pray, okay? Whatever your posture, just start with Father. And if that's all you get to in your prayer, that's a huge theological claim. That's a great start. And then come back to it tomorrow or later in the day.
And this other thing that's hard about prayer is it can be intimidating. You, do, you hear others pray, and it just seems so easy for them, and you can't pray like that. Okay, so what? Like, so, so does that mean you should not pray? That would mean, if this is your struggle, just think about it. Follow this, if this is going to help. Like, if that's true, that would mean we need to look at our young ones and tell them not to pray to God because it's not going to sound that impressive to God. Are we going to say that to any of our young? Of course, like, no. Like, do parents tell their kids not to talk to them until they learn how to talk good? No. Like, we're, pray, like we're praying the anti-narcissist prayer. Don't, don't pray. Don't try to pray like you need to impress God with words. Just like parents hang on their toddler learning how to speak, God your Father delights in every single one of His children talking to Him. And at the same time, this thing of like, I'm intimidated, something about that is actually okay. As in, like, don't quench the awe that you do want to have for the one that you are praying to because who you're praying to is you're praying to your Father, our Father in heaven. And you may come back and you may say to that, no, wait, see, but see, there's another problem with prayer. Like, God's in heaven, and does he hear me? Because I'm not sure anyone down here on earth hears me, knows what I'm going through, cares about me. How can I know that God, who I can't see, who I can't hear, hears me? And this is the incredibleness of prayer. According to Jesus, when you pray, your words are going, into your, are going to your Father in heaven. Your weak, not great prayers really do go all the way up into the throne room of God where your Father and His heavenly counsel sit. That's incredible, and it's true. And God really hears and from there, from this opening, from just this simple beginning, then Jesus gives us a model for what our prayers should be concerned with. As you go through this, it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. It's a model. That there's this beautiful structure to it. There are six petitions here. And again, simple and beautiful structure. The first three petitions, they're marked by those old school thys. Here it's translated your, but the thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You know, it, hallowed be thy, that's the first one, hallowed be thy name. So those are the first three. And then the next three petitions are marked out because of the way they're, and this is really, really clear in the, in the Greek, the way they're linked to each other with these very, very strong and words. They're different and words in, in the Greek. And this is a really, really big one that's supposed to like grab your attention of this goes with this, goes with this. And there are two that link these three petitions together. So the first three, the first three petitions are all about praying for Jesus to come back. That's what they're all about. The last three are all about God preserving us here on earth until he comes back. That's the prayer. Hallowed be thy name. That's the, you hear that like, hallowed, great, what's that mean? I don't do hallowed. What, what it, it means this, the end of history is not this revelation of man's superiorness. That is not what is going to happen at the end of history. Man shows himself to be supreme. The end of history is the revelation of God's glory. 
Man's name lifted on high is not the end game of creation. God's name is God's end game. And so we pray, Father, hallowed be your name. The first and great petition is the glory of God's name. It's not ours. And seeing that end game, we literally want to see that come to fruition. God revealing his glory. Everyone praising the name of God. Seeing that in-game come to fruition and really happen is what we also pray in those next two petitions. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's, there's some confusion in the church as to what we should be praying for uh, when we pray. And there seem to be two camps arguing for two kinds of prayer and only one is right. So you'll get one camp that says really what prayer is about is communion-seeking prayer versus the other camp that will say, no, what prayer is really about is you need to do kingdom-seeking prayer, communion-seeking prayer or kingdom-seeking prayer. So some argue that it's communion-seeking, that really, like we, prayer is a means to experience God's love and to know oneness with him. That's what we really want in prayer. Others argue no, prayer is kingdom-seeking. We are calling on God to bring his kingdom. Which is it? Yes. Communion seeking is, just think about, like communion seeking is communion with God who is the king. You want to commune with the king. And it's not just a you communing with the king. Communion is plural. It's community union. Communion. And that community that's seeking communion with the king, it's God's kingdom people. That's who we are. We, like, the church. What is the church? It's God's kingdom on earth. It's his people on earth. So communion seeking is kingdom seeking. And for there to be a real kingdom, yeah, you got to have a king and you got to have people. The king has to have his people and you do have to have a land. You really do have to have a realm for the kingdom to rule over for the people to inhabit. You need a kingdom realm. When we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we recognize that there are two levels to reality right now. This is really, really true. You know this, that there are two realms that exist right now. There's earth and there's heaven. And God is up there and we are down here and we want to be with God. So, God, thy kingdom come. Bring your kingdom down here. And you can pray it just like that, too. Like, it's, it's not, because it's not vain hope, and it is a real longing. This is not a, like, that, that which is invisible to us right now, that heavenly realm, it will be open to us. Jesus is bringing it, and when he brings it, it will put a new face on this earth. It will make this place new heaven, new earth. And as you look around this world, who doesn't want that right now? And that's our prayer. Which means practically, practically speaking, uh, prayer is both intimacy with God and struggle with God. Prayer is both this thing of presence with God and absence, where you experience communion with God and your experience, at that same time, you are experiencing His absence. Like, I want to hold him. I want to see him. 
And that drives us to call out for the king to come and to bring his kingdom with him. And then Jesus turns our attention uh, uh, to waiting. You know, there's the prayer for God's kingdom, and now we turn our prayer to waiting for that kingdom and need for perseverance until he comes. And so we wait, and we pray, and we rely on God, and we say things like, give us this day our daily bread. And this is supposed to be reorienting prayer like that, because like we said, overwhelmed with life, overwhelmed with the world, I mean, you, like, what, what, do you, let's be, what do you pray for? What are you supposed to pray for? Yourself, family, friends, work, Houston, Texas, our country, our world, wars, famine, the poor and the sick, the rich, uh, the church, our church, our presbytery. Well, I don't even know what that is. With a bunch of churches in our denomination. Well, what about the whole denomination? What about other churches that aren't in our denomination? Like, I, like it's too much. And of course it's too much. And how trite sounding is it to try to summarize the problem of the world in 10 seconds? Like, your own needs are too much for you. Your own needs are too much for you, let alone the needs of billions of other people in the world. So we pray like this. So we pray reorienting ourselves to the grand and important reality that we are not self-reliant because we are not God. And therefore, we are God-relying. So God, you know what I don't know. Give us our daily bread. And this is supposed to be relief to perfectionists who struggle with the prayer and think if you're going to pray, you've got to say just the right thing or your prayer won't work. Prayer, please hear this. Prayer is about asking God to work, not your prayer to work. Okay? Prayer is asking God to work, not your prayer to work. You're not praying for the power of your prayer. You're praying for the power of God. It's just an, it's a request. It's an ask. And it's God who is powerful. And it's God who works through such weak means as prayer. And this also destroys legalism, thinking that there's a certain formula to praying or a certain amount of time you have to pray in order to pray. You can meet, you, you, sorry, you can pray, you can, this is really important, you can pray for God to meet all the needs of the world and all the needs of people all around the world in a matter of seconds. God, give us this day our daily bread. I pray that for me. I pray for the world. This also destroys cynicism, uh, as in like you pray for something and God gives you the opposite of what you prayed for, and that thing that he gave you, it's awful. Or you pray for something and God gives you what you prayed for, and it's awful. Uh, Or you pray for something and God gives you the opposite of what you prayed for, and that's great. Like, so then it's like, so why pray? Because, because prayer will always accomplish that thing of bringing you back to him. And it will help you see what your real need is. And here's a real need. is this thing where you do need communion with other people. You need communion with God. Because you really can hide from everybody. We are really, really, really good at hiding from everybody and not letting anybody, even those close to us, know what's really, really going on with us. But prayer upends that because God is the only person from whom you can hide nothing. 
and before him you will unavoidably come to see yourself in this new, unique light of total need. Prayer really does lead to this self-knowledge that it's, it, it's impossible to achieve any other way of exposing this need that you have. And then when you come to know yourself, <laughs> coming to know yourself like that, that forced self-reflection, which none of us really like to do, it sounds terrifying because you know if you take a, any kind of surface or deep look into your heart, you're not going to like what you see. And if you don't like what you see, you know God's not going to like what you see, so let's just not do that. No, then Jesus leads us into that thing of, yeah, you do need to know yourself, and you will get to this point of you will see your need of forgiveness. And so we pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, you will, as you pray, there will be more and more you'll find a kind of uh, bitterness in your heart because you come to see your heart more clearly, and you'll discover besetting sins. And you don't have to look that deep, but, you, but, but, but that is good stuff. Like you need to see that stuff that you keep running back to, uh, and you need to see it in order to do this thing that we call mortify it, put it to death. Mortifying those sins involves identifying them, which weakens them before they give birth to actual sinful behavior. Like you, you weaken those sins by identifying them and praying about them. And it's as simple of, uh, I know it's a struggle for me. It's this, it's this, it's this. I confess it. Help. Forgive. Help me to not like those things. Help me to hate that sin. And help me to turn to Jesus. But, but that won't happen if you're not giving it any kind of time of some forced self-reflection of, what have I done? Mortification is a good thing for you, but it's not just a good thing for you. It's a good thing for others for you to do too, because in seeing and in interacting with your uh, messed upness, your messed upness is then not lost on you when you see the messed upness of other people. And it's not shocking to you because you know who you are. And you're able to hold out that grace to you that you're asking for from God. And, and, and this, is, this is what Jesus means when he says, forgive others as you've been forgiven. Uh, your trespasses will be forgiven. Uh, uh, as you forgive others. He's not saying you'll be forgiven on the condition that you forgive others. He's saying your forgiveness of others is evidence. It's this awesome evidence that you have been forgiven. And you can't think of forgiveness first and foremost. We can't go off on this rabbit trail, but let me just say this. You can't, forgiveness is not first and foremost this feeling of that person who hurt me, they're awesome. That, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is the person who hurt me. God, forgive them. I want to forgive them. What they did was wrong, but they need grace, and so do I. I know I need... That's evidence. Uh, that you know what it is to ask for grace. And then in this final petition, Jesus teaches us that there is not just evil outside us. Sorry. That there's not just evil inside us. There is a, a, a evil outside of us. And so we pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is one of those, wait, What? Lead us not into temptation. Why would God deliver us into temptation? That sounds like uh, God don't sin, but God doesn't sin. Why do we just need to know this? And we can only touch on this, but that it's the same, the Greek word for temptation is the same Greek word for trial. It's the same word. And I know we don't like that, but it's context. Context helps us understand uh, what we're talking about. How about this? Helpful wordplay. 
You know this stuff to be true. We have these things called contronyms. What does this word mean? Buckle. Well, it can mean to secure yourself, or it can mean your knee buckles. You know, it can mean warps. They mean the opposite thing, like security and warping, or cleave. What does cleave mean? Well, it can mean to hold on to something. It can also mean to split something in half. You know, uh, dust. What does dust mean? Uh, you can either, hey, let's, let's, let's uh, get the dust out of here. You removed dust. Can you dust the table? Or can you dust that cake? Can you sprinkle stuff on? I mean, one, you're literally removing, you know, dust. Other one, you're putting dust on, like dust. We, context, you got to have context. How about enjoin? A word we never use, like enjoin. What does that mean? Uh, it can actually mean command or forbid. Context. Uh, overlook. I'm going to overlook this. I'm going to overlook my people working on it. You can overlook can be inspecting it, or literally overlooking it and passing it by and not seeing anything. Context. So what are we saying? And lead us not into something, but deliver us from evil. The New Testament tells us that God brings trials to us. He brings trials into our lives in order to test us so that we can see uh, what's in our hearts, which is meant to strengthen our faith in Jesus. God sends us tests to strengthen us. And the New Testament tells us that with every trial that God sends us, there is a temptation wrapped up in it to move away from God. God sends trials to us to draw us to himself. And with every trial that God sends, there's a temptation to actually move away from God. But the temptation to move away from God does not come from God. That comes from our own sin, or it comes from outside evil forces. God has no inner attraction to sin. The Bible's very clear. So he does not tempt us to sin. So with that, there are two ways to go here with this prayer. You can either take this as, and this works with the vocabulary, with the syntax, let us not be led into temptation, like by the devil, by the evil one, or if we take this as meaning trials, we can take this as we're petitioning God to spare us from trials. Even though elsewhere, like in James, we're told to consider it pure joy when trials come our way. And it's like the Bible says, God sends suffering to us to strengthen us, but that does not mean you go looking for suffering. We're also instructed to pray for relief from suffering. God says also that there are going to be wars and rumors of wars, and we are told to pray for our governing authorities that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. So yeah, it works too. So, take your pick. <laughs> Let us not be led into temptation by the devil or, Lord, spare us from unnecessary trials. And, and, and then we get to this part. We're going to come back to that. Uh, just pause right there uh, because there it ends. And we, say, we want to say, wait, wait. What about, what about that stuff of yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? Amen. It's not here. Why is that not here? It, it's also not in Luke's gospel account of this prayer. Why not? Because it's not in the Bible. <laughs> because it's not in the earliest and best manuscripts of the New Testament. Because that is a line uh, that is a later addition to the prayer. And you need to know that. Uh, as one commentator pointed out, it's more important to know that the Bi what the Bible really contains and really means than to cling to something that's not really in the Bible merely because it gratifies our taste. And that could be a huge wah, wah, like if that's just your favorite line of the prayer. Sorry, it's not in the Bible, but 
Yes, pray it. It's a great prayer. Uh, this, and remember, this is a model for prayer. This is a model for prayer, which means it is okay to pray that line, uh, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, because that is theologically true. It's a great doxology. But, but, let me say this, coming back to how we ended. The prayer, as it is here, it is beautiful the way it ends. It's beautiful because of its structure, because the last three petitions, they are, you think about those last three, three petitions. Uh, you're praying for daily bread. That is meeting a present need. And then you're praying for forgiveness of your sins. That is a need for your past. You're praying about your present. You're praying about your past and our need for the future. Deliverance from the evil one. It says deliverance from evil here. A better translation is probably the evil one. And if you go on that one, if you go with the evil one, we end on the future as we, as we pray this prayer, we're ending on the future, the, the future trials that are ahead of us or future temptations from the devil as we hold on to, as we look to our ultimate future of the first three petitions. We end with this focus on the future that brings us back to the ultimate future for which we are longing. And if it is truly taken as the evil one, delivers us from the evil one, it reminds us how we began the prayer. Our Father, you see these bookends. You see the structure. It's a beautiful structure to the prayer. And you do come back to that, that thing of our Father because sometimes you will hear this. Sometimes you will hear it's so wild that Jesus says our Father because no one prayed like this before Jesus. No one ever called God Father. That's also not true. That's maybe another wah, wah. That's such a cool thing. Like, is it, God is called Father in every part of the Old Testament. The law, Exodus 4, 21 to 23, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus the Lord says to Israel, my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Deuteronomy 14, 12, you are the sons of the Lord your God. You are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The prophets, Isaiah, this is in Isaiah 63, 64, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. James 3, uh, Jeremiah, sorry, 3, 31, the writings, this is in the Psalms. There are others. And, and, and this is how Jesus prayed. When he prayed, Jesus always, he always called God Father or my Father except one time at the end of the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is saying here, this, all of this, the beginning of Matthew, teaching us how to pray. You get to the end of Matthew. And the one saying of Jesus, he, has, he actually says quite a few things from the cross, but the one saying of Jesus that Matthew decides to include when Jesus is dying on the cross is a prayer to God. And Jesus does not call him Father. He says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And here we see the Son of God became a child of wrath so that children of wrath can become sons and daughters of God. And Jesus wants you to start and he wants you to end your prayers with that awesome, gracious reality. Let's pray. Father, what an awesome and amazing thing of grace for your people here to call out to you, Father. And we don't want it to be lost on us. And Lord, we, 
we want, uh, we ask as your children, uh, we ask that you would bless our relationship with you. We ask that you would uh, grow in this thing of us, this desire to be in communion with you. Yes, together, but also individually. And even as we are individually praying in our homes, uh, Lord, that we're remembering each other in our prayers. Lord, we, we, we do. We want to... B- we ask that we would become a people that are so obsessed uh, with, with talking to you, with, with coming to you, uh, with cries for your kingdom to, to come because we feel this absence from you. Father, that we would come to you as we wait with, with our daily needs and that we'd come to you with trust. We'd come to you with real uh, expectation that you hear us and that you really do answer us. Father, help us to remember that the last thing the evil one wants us to do is to pray. Lord, this, this, this thing that seems so weak, the power that's behind it because you are at work in it, help us to believe that you are a God who hears us and answers our prayers, that you have loved us and saved us for such a relationship as we pray and we look to your coming again. Help us to walk by faith until we can walk by sight in heaven with you, arm in arm. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.